Welcome to the Before Midnight Podcast, coming to you from the N Plus One Studios overlooking beautiful downtown Frankfurt. In this podcast, we explore the world of age group triathletes. We'll be looking at the real world challenges of being an amateur multi-sport athlete. I'm your host, Linda Word, along with my co-host, Brian Schenkenfeller. What's up, Brian? Not much, man. Just living the dream, man. Life is good. Life is phenomenal, man. I haven't brought that word out in a while, so I'm... Really? Bring it back, yeah. And I try to use it, and I'm like, all I can think of is Brian. <laughs> And if anybody, if I say it to anybody that knows you, I'm like, uh. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a different word. No, it's a good word. <clears throat> it is a good it's word. It's a word that people is like, I like that. That's good. <laughs> when you ask a three-year-old to say it, it's great. Oh, yeah. That's, I'm sure. Uh, I tried. The... I think I, I said it in the podcast last year. I tried to get one little girl to say it. They can't say, I don't think she can say, could say L's or F's. And she was like, I can't say that. <laughs> By the way, this is our 151st episode. Really? So we're really right on that three-year mark, by the way. Wow. I put up with you that long doing this? Yeah. It's crazy. That is kind of crazy. Who knew when we started this (laughs) that we could talk that much? (laughs) (laughs) About so little. We have quite a few people that uh, that enjoy our banter. Oh, no. We've covered a lot of topics. No, we have. We have. (laughs) So what have you been up to this past week? I'm actually here two weeks in a row. I know. It's exciting. That's phenomenal. It is phenomenal. I uh, I don't know. It's been... Things have started slowing down, I guess, before the holiday season. We had our last soccer game. Hmm. Only one game. It wasn't like five in a weekend, so I didn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) I was going to say, what did you do with all your spare time? I got to watch some football, which oh, was good. Okay. We had family over one afternoon. That's it's good. just things have slowed down a little bit now. We don't play soccer until January. Okay. Like futsal, which is indoor soccer. Oh. Is the ball different in the field and everything? I know nothing about indoor soccer. Um, I mean, This would be like in a gym. Oh, okay. They play with a little bit heavier ball. It's more of a skill oh. game, a dribbling and foot skill game. Why would I think it would be a light? To keep it down. So it doesn't okay. fly real high. Okay. It's not considerably. It's it's not like it's it's a little okay. bit heavier. I was gonna say nobody's gonna like really hurt their foot kicking it. Well, yeah. The goal is to kind of keep it on the ground. It's meant to be kind of this short possession based foot skill. Okay. Game. That's kind of. Well, I've never played it. I've seen it. I've not like coached it. So it'll be interesting. Watch okay. Alex actually play it and get to see some games. Where are they doing that? Somewhere in Lexington. Okay. I was going to say, it's not in Frankfurt. No, we don't do anything in Frankfurt. Frankfurt's pretty much a, 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 a town of less and less. Because the, yes. the Y controlled everything, and the Y right. is not really caring about the Frankfurt area. Now that they yeah. control moved to Lexington and out of sight, out of mind, right. nothing comes your way. Well, what's <laughs> getting me right now is that you know the downtown Y had two gyms so there's no where are kids playing basketball uh i'm pretty sure they're playing over at church okay over oh buck run is it buck run on the west side okay yeah it's somewhere over on the west side. Uh, I don't know i'm sorry east side east side it's somewhere on the east side they've okay. got like five or six courts this, okay. this church does <laughs> they've got this yeah that's buck gym. run yeah they built this huge like complex okay and that's where i'm pretty sure they're playing the games there okay that makes sense because, yeah, there's no downtown Y. There's no downtown Y. The pool, 
No downtown pool, no. No downtown pool. And we were swimming at KSU at Kentucky State University, and I got the email last night saying that their boiler was broken and that we would not be allowed to use their, use their pool indefinitely. So that means there is no indoor place to swim in Frankfurt at all. We, And then when Juniper Hills does open, which is an outdoor pool, there's no, as far as I know, there's never been a lap swim they don't have it like early in the morning. No, because the swim team. I know gets the swim to team goes right. I didn't know if you could use a lane or two during that time. Probably you if could. You knew some people and we tried some a couple of years ago to do a masters team there. We were going to practice before the uh, kids practiced, and then like the week before, it was like, "Whoops, can't do it." There's no lights in that pool. Oh, when okay. they designed it, they didn't put any lights inside the pool, so you can't see if you can't see the swimmers, and even if there's lights up top. There's none in the water, so you couldn't. Yeah, you can't you swim at that point. No, so that was somebody. That was really well designed. Really not thinking at all. I don't. I mean, why would why would you? Anyway. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand the whole. That's strange. Yeah, so that means when they do evening parties for the kids, when they rent out that facility, you know, for private parties, they have to shut it down earlier than they really, you know would need to. I mean, potentially they could go until 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Now they got to go 930, 9 o'clock and shut it down because because they just weren't thinking about it. Right. Yeah, because like an indoor pool, you don't need the lights because you got enough ambient light in the facility. But outdoors, you get a lot of shadows and things like that that occur. Yeah. You just can't, can't take that risk. So, yeah. So now there is nowhere to swim in Frankfurt. So I'll be going to Shelbyville. Man, that boiler, that, that'll probably take a week or two to fix. Yeah. If they are, have any urgency. I think they have any urgency to do it. That's the problem. I, you know, I mean, I love this town, but there are so many things like that um, that people just don't think ahead. You know, when I was doing a horseback riding and I was the 4-H leader, we could not do our regional show here in Franklin County because the only riding ring public riding ring is at Lakeview Park and is designed specifically for saddlebreds and for um, carriage, you know, carts. It's an oval ring. There's stuff in the middle of it. So you can't have a jumping event. You can't have a dressage event. You can't, you, like half of what you would do in 4-H, you couldn't do those competitions. So we had to go to another county to have our, you know, our horse show for free. It was like, Wait, we're in the horse capital of the world in Kentucky. We're in the state capital, and we can't have a horse show? Okay. You can go to Georgetown and have one. <laughs> I, can go to, I can go anywhere. I can go to any other county. But what really stinks about the pool also is not just me and other adults that like to swim and water aerobics and all that other stuff. None of the school high school t- swim teams will now have a place to practice. They're going to have to out of county. Well, Anderson County was already coming here because they don't have an indoor pool. Right. So they were coming to KSU. I assume you could go to, some of them could go to Fallen Springs. There are, how, much, how much time is there in a day for all of these school teams to practice? I mean, it's going to be tight. It would be tough. But most of these, I guess I don't know how big some of these teams are. They're most, pretty big. Some I mean, of them could probably get by with one. You just have to find some place so you can get one. I mean, when I swim at KSU, when the high school teams are practicing, they're taking up in an eight-lane pool. They're in five of the lanes, four of the lanes, and there's at least four or five swimmers in each lane. Well, it's time to go to eight swimmers and get in three or four lanes. <laughs> yeah. Which you can do. Uh, you can do, yeah. 
what you do if you don't have yeah. but, yeah, I mean, having people having two teams practicing at the same time i mean you have to i mean that's what you do either that or you just don't swim yeah i mean realistically swimming is one of those sports where if you have a high school team that's being led by a high school that swim team's probably not going to unless because at the end of the day the the teams that do well have a ton of usa swimmers well and those guys have kind of do swim. though i mean because we have a usa team here so i don't know where they're going to practice either they they already practice in versailles half the time anyway they were they'll just continue in, to practice you know, they were practicing half in versailles and half in Frankfurt. they'll just go to versailles full-time probably but i mean you know we've had we've had a couple people well at least one in the time that my girls were swimming um that went to the olympic trials i mean we've got some decent Again, yeah, they're not swimming years. high school practice, though. They're swimming USA she did. swimming practice. Well, she was homeschooled until her senior year, and then she joined the high school. And, and she, she swam in both. Yeah, was they, generally, they generally don't go to the, the high school practices. Because that's what happens here, in, I know, in Shelbyville. Is those kids who swim on the Shelbyville team, they don't necessarily go to the Shelbyville practices. practices. They go to the USA swimming practices because it's, yeah. it's a better practice for them. Right. Because the reality of it is... is well, well, it's I've also seen, a full year. I've seen the high school practices, and they generally are very elementary. You've got a kid, bunch of kids who can kind of swim, yeah, but they're not very fast. But it's still, it's still important. I mean, if there's nowhere for them to swim, it's just, it's just frustrating. It's just very frustrating that every time you turn around, something stupid happens. And well, the problem and is, nobody, and it's like, okay, well, sorry, you can't do, you know. The problem what are is you going to do? The problem is generally your average athlete who's the one who gets hosed by it. Because the right. high school teams will find a pool. And those pools will generally make room for the high school. Because they get money from those high school teams. You as an individual swimmer do not give the facility enough money. <laughs> My piddly little membership. Yeah, is not nearly yeah. as much as them spending, a high school spending six or seven, eight dollars an hour per lane to swim. Yeah. I mean that's that's how a lot of these pools make money is renting out. Well, to the Well, if I'm teams. going to Shelbyville and I'm going a day pass, that's six bucks. Mm-hmm. And I'm you know if I'm going at a busy time, I'm going to be sharing a lane, so I'm paying the same much they are. That's, I'm just not filling the pool. Right, but they're filling four lanes guaranteed for yeah. two hours okay. at whatever nine or ten bucks a night. I don't know that. I think there's it's more than that. It's like ten or twelve bucks per lane per hour. For a lot of these, you yeah. know, you're guaranteed fifty Still. or sixty bucks for a swim team to come in and swim for an hour five days a week. I mean, that's yeah. the difference. Is is a lot more guaranteed so, money. Well, all right, so they'll make room, but here in our cute little town, they're not going to fix a pool so that these kids can swim so they can make. Yeah, I mean, well, it's Kentucky of, State. They're they're not there to their pool is not right. meant to serve the general community. It's meant to serve the students of. Kentucky State. That's not necessarily true, though. I thought when the Exum Center was built, that was part of the deal. Oh, that could have been. But generally, the I mean, it was a long time ago. Like, but I know the U of L pool. You can't really just general swim there. No. And but, the same thing is true at the UK pool. In fact, you can't even get into the UK pool now. No. The Masters team left there. Yeah. And they're swimming at Fallen Springs now too. Oh, are they? Yeah, because okay. they, they might be back in Lexington, but they got the, the UK pool never opened again for general public. Hmm. Interesting. Because they used to have like a general public yeah. type thing. But see, KSU doesn't even have a swim team. Right. As far as I know, they haven't had one in years or haven't ever had one. I thought they were talking about getting one again. They used to have one. Did they? Okay. It got cut. It's it, Swimming has generally been a casualty of Title IX. They can't afford to give out the 
the male scholars should just have like a... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of warped things that have that. happened from Title IX because of football. Because uh, football, you have to offset, and that's always been the problem. Okay. You can't give out scholarships to the male swimmers because you have to give out more women's scholarship in all these other sports. And gotcha. So some sports end up being the chopping block. This is why triathlon caught on in a lot of colleges, because it's a women's-only sport. Mm-hmm. I can have it. This is why a lot of will have like a women's volleyball team, but no men's volleyball team. Mm-hmm. It's all about trying to even out the numbers. Title IX has just that, it's created some weird distortions because of football, because there's no women's sport that's equivalent. the equivalent of football. The problem is you got to have football because football's the moneymaker right. in sports. And football's so popular, yeah. I've never understood why they didn't just amend it so that we take football out of the equation just to, mm-hmm. so you would have even out in all the other sports. Because hmm. that, that makes sense, because softball is the opposite of baseball. you got men's and women's volleyball. you got men's and women's swimming. You know, every sport has a men's and women's. Except football. Except football, you know, basketball, all that. So you could easily even out the number of scholarships and money spent between hmm. all those other sports. But when you have sports that's only one sex, I don't... Yeah, what do you do? What do you do? And that, that's what's created a lot of these distortions, which has caused a lot of these programs to go away. Like, the one men's sport that has almost completely gone away is wrestling. Really? Very few colleges wrestle anymore. High school, it's still big, though. It's still big because... Don't have a line. Yeah, I mean, you've you got okay. field hockey that is the opposite, I believe, of wrestling. Okay. It's a women's-only sport. There's a couple women's, I think, in volleyball, it's women in Kentucky. Okay. So you can have wrestling to kind of offset those sports. But, you know, since you have football as the primary sport, and and I don't know if the Title IX really applies to the high school. I don't think so. So that that's where it kind of it differentiates, yeah. too, because the, the high schools have football, too. Yeah. Again, is probably one of their big expenses, but it's also the one that generally right. brings in the most revenue, maybe not in Kentucky. Basketball might actually in Kentucky, just because basketball is a little more popular. It's a popular and your well, costs. UK, UK to, does better at basketball than football. To, that's right. <laughs> the cost to run a basketball program is probably a lot less than to run a football program. You only yeah. have five kids. You, know, you have ten or fifteen kids. It's only fifteen jerseys. You don't have any real special yeah. equipment. You do have a gym that you have to pay for. So there is some expenses yeah. there. But you have a field for football. It's yeah. just one of those weird things, and it's yeah. caused some distortions on the college level. Anyway, well, I'm frustrated and annoyed just as an amateur, <laughs> average athlete that I cannot just roll out of work now and go swim. Yeah. No, it's... I'm going to have to go drive at least a half an hour, 45 minutes to get to a pool. Very frustrating. It's frustrating yeah. because there used to be a local option. Yeah. That's the part that... Yeah. Yep. And that takes... So. Yeah, it's, it's a big problem. Now, yeah. instead of taking 10 15 minutes of total driving time now you got an hour total driving time right and i'm already working on very little available time so i don't know i don't know what i'm gonna do i guess just try to swim on saturdays there you go well you in a situation like that you're like okay maybe i can't swim three or four times a week but if i can swim once or twice a week i'm okay maybe i go that saturday morning and then find just some other night i can get a swim like that yeah. yeah, it just becomes one of those things. You have to adapt. It was like COVID. Everything shut down for COVID. We yeah. didn't swim for four or five months. That was frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is I teach a class for the Y. So because I teach on Thursday nights and I teach one of the few fitness classes they have, I get my membership. Now I'm like, well, do I really need to teach that class? Because I'm not going to get, I had my membership so that I could go to, to the, the pool. pool. <laughs> 
If I imagine they'll get the pool fixed. The problem is if it's a boiler, if they're going to replace the boiler, it's going to take you know, a few weeks probably to get a new one in. Oh, yeah. I mean, parts are ridiculous. Anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Continuing saga. We'll keep you all updated. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. So how's that? Uh, you were talking about that book still? Yeah, yeah I figured we there was a couple interesting elements of the talent code, the book I was talking about here these last few weeks. And I just want to kind of introduce a couple topics each time. I figured this would be a good third installment, final installment. It, it was an interesting book. It doesn't deserve three podcasts. There's enough content there, so I thought I could make it interesting to, to go over. Because like previously we talked about the myelin as the wrapper around your nervous right. system to develop your skills. And that was most of our concepts over there. The, the other things, and so, yeah, so the myelin was wraps your nervous system. It generates your quick right. responses. It's the circuits that, that allow like the you to do the rubber on electric wire. Right. Right. We then talked about how you need so much practice to hard grain that right. the fact that kids develop myelin quicker than adults they learn faster and older adults it's much slower which is why it's so much harder for an adult to learn swimming right than not then we talked about the learning how to go and do deep learning and the, and the steps of deep learning and how to be able to take a task and chunk it down and we talked about how that might apply to swimming mm-hmm. the other parts of the talent code was how why are these kids so good why are these kids really talented they the second element besides the just the hours and hours of practice is he calls it ignition which for short term is just the motivational fire to practice thousands and thousands of hours okay it's basically what lights these kids up to go out and do the thousands and thousands of hours of practice necessary to become a master at your particular skill. And it was interesting because he he noticed that one of the biggest elements of that ignition is just generally exposure. He talked about like this little league team from one of the Caribbean islands that dominated college World Series baseball, at least, you know, made it into the finals like year after year for four or five years, how that happened. Well, it turns out like one of the kids from that island went on to play the Major League Baseball. So all the kids saw him make Major League uh, Baseball. They all saw this happen. Right. And were like, became inspired to play. And hey, maybe I can do this as well. The guy up the street did it. Maybe mm-hmm. I can do it. And they all started playing. They all got excited about it. And they practiced hours and hours. And they had a good team for a number of years, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. Um, you know, we see this. In Olympic sports every four years. Yeah, we do. You have an uptick of swimmers after, say, Michael Phelps goes out there and wins 50 gold medals or whatever. He wins in an Olympics. Nadia Comaneci, when I was a kid, it was like everybody was doing gymnastics. And everybody wanted to do gymnastics. And every year, every four years, you have the story of somebody who was inspired by Olympics when they were a kid. That's Mm -hmm. this infinite story. And... You know, it's this whole concept of what gets a kid motivated into it. And one of the biggest thing I think that he kind of pointed to that I agree with is this exposure. You're exposed to something mm-hmm. that gets you fired up about it. Mm-hmm. The problem, and so you get these athletes who just happen to have the genetic capability to do it. Got to have that number one. You got to have some genetic capability. You've got to have be in the right place at the right time to mm-hmm. receive that message, right? Right. I happen to be the right age to watch the Olympics 
to still have enough time for me to develop into the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. If you in a in a bad year for that, let's say I watch the Olympics and get excited at like thirteen, I might be late in the curve to make the Olympics. Yeah. Maybe not. Maybe so. Where if I had seen it when I was ten or eleven and caught the bug, I might be further along that path. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of elements in this, and it may not be just the Olympics. It may be the Olympics, and you have a couple other things going on in your life. Right. All of those things together get you focused on this, and boom, I'm passionate about it. I'm going to go out and do the work necessary to become a great player. Okay. Which is really kind of a cool thing, that the you have this combination of exposure to an event. Like, you know, if you have a kid who he gets there and can play soccer, maybe he'll go up and, and become a great soccer player because he was exposed to it at a young age. He was able to play it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his parents may have been like, a coach. This is what happens in football all the time with high school. A right. lot of the quarterbacks, almost all of them, it seems like they've become these stars. Their parents were high school coaches. Right. <laughs> so the kid got exposure to football to it, at a young yeah. age, got excited about it. He had good coaching because yeah. his dad coached. You know, this is a problem I had in, in soccer with like one girl on my team who was really talented. Her parents didn't know anything about soccer. Mm-hmm. They didn't know how to teach it. She wanted to play all the time, but they really couldn't help her develop skills because they just didn't know anything about the sport. Right. They couldn't really play with her. Right. Or, or know how the bigger to thing is, is make her better. Yeah. I can kick the ball around with her, but do I know how to kick the ball in such a way that I can increase her skills? Yeah. Can I teach her how to dribble the ball better? Mm-hmm. They don't have that background yeah. to be able to do it. And while she's getting better... She's not getting better fast enough because she doesn't have that teacher. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about coaching side of this in a few minutes. But it's just kind of this interesting thing of, you know, kind of this right place, right time, mm-hmm. exposure, boom. You take it off and, and you run with it, whatever that might be. Yeah. Now, what I see is the problem, with it, is the ultimate problem with this is this ignition process has more factors into it than you can control. I can't take my kid and ignite him because... Is it the right time for him to receive that message? Is that the message he wants to receive at that point in time? Mm-hmm. Is that exposure going to capture that passion? Or is he doing it just because you want him to do it? Yeah. So there's all these elements in this ignition process that I think is more of a, in hindsight... <laughs> like if yeah. when you see all these great players and all these talented athletes and talented whatever... You can probably go back and find that ignition point for them. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that you can necessarily create an ignition in this athlete. Right. This happens, I think, all the time. You see a talented a kid who's athletically talented or whatever. Ooh, I can give him all these skills, but you can't always give him the passion. Yeah. You can expose him. You can do some things. He might be interested. But unless you get that extreme passion to yeah. put in the hours it becomes this problem. Well, and part of it, I mean, it's up to the kid to, you know, a child's personality as to whether or not... I mean, that's all. those do. are all factors in the ignition process. Yeah. But, I mean, you can see this ignition process throughout history and everything. They, one of the other things the book talked about was, like, the Michelangelo's during the re- Renaissance and things like that. Mm-hmm. Those guys, while they did this magnificent work and all this, you know, brought about this cultural yeah. revolution... 
at the end of the day, when they were young, they were exposed to these master masons and stuff like that. They were exposed to people who did creative things around them. They were exposed to well, all and how much stuff. hard work it took as well. I mean, well, you the know, problem so was they, they were exposed to it. They saw it. They got yeah. interested in it. They probably were um, whatever the process where you go and become kind of their apprentice. Apprentices. God. <laughs> I don't know why I can think of that word. You know, they were apprentices for these people, so they yeah. worked with this stuff right. for years and years before they went and became these artisans that you see mm-hmm. and these master painters and stuff yeah. like that. It was just kind of this, because the book kind of looks at this, you, you get these groups of talented people, and, and the Renaissance was that because it happened mostly in Italy, right? Most right. of that, all that great art and things. But most of those people all came about at the same time where things became a little bit freer, you begin to have some middle class development at that point in time. Mm-hmm. You had these apprenticeships, so you had these people that were working under masters, maybe not artistic masters, but masters of the basic skills they needed to become right. artists. And they just took that next step. They stood on the shoulders of their master, yeah. whatever, yeah. And, and, and took and... that their teachers and took that next step. Yeah. And that's really what you. That's why you see these pockets of talents in like a particular town and stuff like that. You're getting some type of really weird exposure event. Right. And you've got some probably some pretty good teaching to go along with that, and all of a sudden, you know, this one little town does generates Has five <laughs> professional players, and you're like, why did that happen? Yeah. Well, this is why it happens. You have all these just founding features that happen to come together mm-hmm. into one melting pot. Interesting. That's yeah. Not, that I, the problem with it is, is I don't think it's replicable <laughs> because you can't replicate that passion and things like that yeah. in kids that's something that they have to do and i and i well, don't think fi- you can force to find it. the trigger that starts it i don't think you can force it yeah. i don't think you because the yeah. problem is even if i give them all the right ingredients it may be the wrong time for them to hear the message yeah and it's all for not <laughs> well the kids still get you know i mean your child does soccer my daughter did dance and i mean and i she was really good and it was a passion of mine and you know, and she, I didn't want her in competitive sports because she was really sore loser when she was little. And, you know, and maybe I pushed it too much and she does not dance anymore. She was pretty good, but. you, The kid has to take it on themselves to put in yeah. the hours and hours of work. I mean, she did and she enjoyed it and she loved it and she performed. But then once it became more of her choice, once she got out of high school, she was done. Yeah. So I was like, hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I. I look at soccer for Alex. He's not super passionate about it. He doesn't go out and kick the ball around every day mm-hmm. on his own. Yeah, That's what the really talented kids yeah. in a sport do. Yeah. They go out every day and they work on, just on their elements own. Yeah. on their own. Not just because mom or dad drives Not just because mom and dad takes them to practice, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. He could, he'll be probably a good soccer player because he'll still playing enough to be a good player. Yeah. But he has really not, unless he at some point in the next four, three or four years, really takes that upon himself to practice on those levels. Sorry. You're not going to get there. You're not going to be a great player. Yeah. That's something that all the great players have in common. I think that's hard to manufacture in kids. They've got to find it on their own. You can expose them to things and you hope that they find something that they can go and run with it. But if they don't, they'll never be a superstar in whatever right. undertaking you want them to take. That doesn't mean they can't be good. That doesn't mean they can't enjoy high school oh, and, yeah. and things oh, of that of nature. 
But when we talk about the super elite kids, these are the elements that make up a lot yeah. of these super elite kids. It's, it's yeah. kind of an interesting concept to me. Yeah. The other part of it was uh, a lot of these talented kids tend to come have good coaches. And it was kind of interesting to kind of go through what makes kind of these master coaches. And one is they generally have spent years studying coaching, mm-hmm. like the art of coaching and their particular skill they're trying to coach, their particular sport. So there's kind of this element to it. Because what they find is that you have to kind of have a deep knowledge of the sport so that when you're looking at trying to teach skill X, you can you can see it from four or five different right. directions, which allows you to explain it six, seven different ways until you connect with the kid to understand the skill and run this. I've yeah. seen this in swimming. You try to teach things like the catch, and I'm always trying to figure out what are some different ways to explain right. it to athletes because if they don't pick it up the first time, they may pick it up later because eventually the message is ready to be heard. Correct. At the same time, you need to come up with some different ways to explain it, some different ways, concepts to to try to introduce it so they pick it up quick. The aha moment. The aha like, moment. Oh, that's, that's what, what they were talking, talking about. about. Oh, I had a lot of that with riding horses. And it's like my instructor would tell me. And then one day it's like, oh, that's right. That's how it feels. Now I completely understand what the heck she was talking about. But it took different explanations and a lot of practice and a lot of trial and error to get it. But yeah, how to good coaches can get that a little bit a little bit faster. Right. Well, and, and see the other side of it is is the the good coach like that then can always take the move and take it to that next level. Yes. It's like, okay, I've got this, we've mastered this, but what's the next little intricacy right. of this? That's where the deep knowledge of the sport comes in is that you can kind of build on these things mm-hmm. and, and continue on and create excellence. Mm-hmm. Which was interesting. That's that yeah. that seemed that makes sense. That you know that a coach is going to be someone who's done it for an extended period of time. One of these great coaches that can help help these hot spots kind mm-hmm. of bloom. Yeah. The other side of it was the kind of feeds into this from my standpoint is the coaches. I think this is probably dependent on the sport a little bit. Are kind of like the book used the term GPS. They're always making these little corrections, like. When it happens, I want to correct you. I don't necessarily want to spend you know, hours explaining something. It's like, no, you're doing the push, the pull wrong. You need to get the the thumb down a little more, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You're always giving that feedback whenever something goes wrong the, to get them on the right mind. Because, mm-hmm. you know, again, we're trying to build specific neural pathways. And the more feedback you have to get into the right thing, the right. better you off you are. This is probably a a little bit bigger deal with kids again because kids learn quickly and I can build on things a lot quicker. With adults, you kind of like, okay, we need to do this better. And then you got to let that sit for a little bit because we had to build up the myelin for that <laughs> before we move <laughs> on to the next little, thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, dealing with adults a little bit different, different yeah. with kids in that regard. But with a kid, you've got to always be correcting them and pushing them because their pathways aren't developed very well right. and they develop them very quickly. Right. You always got to be giving. You don't them want to strengthen correction. the wrong thing. <laughs> and these master coaches were very good at being, just not. Hey, you need to do this a little bit differently. Fix no, that's not it. Fix this. Fix this. Fix this. As you go along, mm-hmm. on a fairly consistent basis, while you're coaching them. Mm-hmm. The other side of it that they found with a lot of these master coaches was, 
I might be working with five athletes, but I treat them all differently yes. based on their personalities, how they take to training and things of that mm-hmm. nature. Uh, I am not probably great at that <laughs> myself. You're learning. Uh, I, I, I know how, I treat some people differently based on how they respond. I've, I've got yeah. some swimmers who are, have confidence issues, and so them you got to be really supportive. I've got other swimmers who've been there for a while, and so like one, I, I always use humor with her, and she does well with that. Yeah. Some people don't. Yeah. Some people just be kind of hard with. I generally am not very hard on people. It's 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 adults. There's not not a lot of that you can do. I I don't do that more with kids than I do with adults. Occasionally, yeah. I'll, I'll be like, "What are we doing here? Can we like give some effort, guys?" <laughs> but generally, I'm pretty good about that. It, yeah. That's just an interesting thing that is that when these coaches meet a new kid or whatever, the first thing they're doing is trying to figure out their personality, mm-hmm. to figure out how they can coach how them can and how they can connect with them. Right. Is the, mean, like the first thing they you do. You don't want to push them and have a child crying in the middle. <laughs> right. <laughs> or and, one that's like, he's not saying anything. That must mean that I'm not worth the time to correct. They're, right. You know, I mean, there's a real big, broad range there. I, th- I thought that was kind of an interesting yeah. side of it. And and I could see where that would be useful yeah. when, when dealing, especially with kids and younger people, mm-hmm. because they will respond a lot more differently than adults. Adults generally... You can do a lot of, you can be a lot more straightforward with adults because adults yeah. have a deeper understanding of life. Therefore, they're not going to take the instruction as criticism like some kids can. Yeah. Yeah. They, if you get on them, an adult, they'll either go whatever or they'll respond to it. I mean, adults are adults. They've, yeah. they've been around the block. Yeah. <laughs> they're there because they want to be there. Right. So they're going to. They're take, paying to be there. It's not yeah. like their parents are paying. Yeah, there's just yeah. a totally different dynamic there yeah. than with younger athletes. They didn't get dragged there. They're there, you know, because they want. And I, the the last party that a lot of these master coaches have is some theatrical side to them. A lot of them will like like wear like the same hat all the time or something <laughs> distinct or something that kind of makes them feel like the coach or they'll be overly dramatic when <laughs> they try to do something. I get this, having been a master's coach for a while. Occasionally, you got to be flareful, and there's been times where like things don't happen, and I'll be like throwing my hands up and like, what's what's going on? I'll take my hat and just throw it down or something, just (laughs) something dramatic that you wouldn't normally do, just to try to get attention or try to get points across or or whatever it might be. You have to kind of sometimes. You have to be. You have We're to. We're gonna be, start in the middle of the pool. Yeah, that one's always a good. One. You have to. <laughs> it has to be a show to some extent too. Yeah. I mean, you're trying to keep people engaged too. Right. There's there's this theatrical part of of coaching of I got to make this entertaining too. I got to yeah. make this something that wants to keep them engaged. That's kind of the theatrical part that a lot mm-hmm. of good coaches have, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yep. It's, it's it was a good it was a good book. It had a lot of interesting points in it. He kind of. He kind of went overboard and is all about the myelin and stuff like that. He kind of had his, he kind of tried to shoehorn everything into his kind of perspective of it, okay. which is a little bit overkill for me. But uh-huh. I took some interesting things away from it. it yeah. You know, you gave some names to some things that I'd already knew. You put some insight into why talented kids happen and the fact that you really can't manufacture it. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to. And this, to me, is kind of funny, too, because all these great coaches out there, sometimes they're just lucky in that they happen to be in the spot where this kid right. gets ignited and he becomes this phenom, and I just happen to guide him to that phenom yeah. level. How it's much of that did I do? 
eh, who knows? Yeah. <laughs> and how much was it right that place, kid? The right just, time. Yeah. just like the kid was at the right place. Place at the right know. time. The coach was too. Yeah, yeah, there's. I think there's a lot of that to some of these great yeah. coaches out uh-huh. there of kids' sports. Which is why a lot of times you don't see them replicate a lot of this. They'll have that phenom athlete. They right. never get a second or third. another one. <laughs> Unless they move up and start getting all these really good athletes that come to right. them specifically. And then they build them up. That's really what you, as a coach, to some extent, that's you know, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors here. And that, you know, I, I got this phenom athlete. It raises my stature as a coach. I got to be able right. to use this to bring in other great athletes to right. keep this train going. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I'm not taking somebody with average genetic potential and turning them into superstar. It's never going to happen. Yeah. I don't care how good of a coach you are. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's why. Yeah, that's very true. Everybody's got to be at the right place at the right time. Right time. And that's that's so much of what's good. And then you market the bejeebies out of those good ones. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and and to some extent, I mean, you've got to be good yourself, too. I mean, you've got to put in the hours. You can't be good at something without putting in the hours. I. That, to me, is probably the biggest takeaway from this. If you want to be good, you've got to work at it. Yeah. you got to do the stuff that no one else sees. Right. Because everybody you see out there you think is talented has put in hours you have not yes. seen. Yeah. Oh, of course. They've put in a lot of hours that you have not seen. Now, that's, that, to me, is the big takeaway. Because he highlights a lot of different people. Like <clears throat> the, one, the other one that was interesting was like the Bronte sisters who wrote novels and stuff like that. Okay. And they're like when they were fairly young. And he was like... You know, but they were exposed. They were in the end that had a lot of people that traveled through. They mm-hmm. would tell stories to each other when they were little kids. They had a lot of experience in storytelling before they got to write their stories. Mm-hmm. Even though they were young and died at fairly young ages too. They were talented writers, but the reason they were talented writers is because they put in a lot of work that you didn't see. Well, it's, you know, they had the expo- well, like I said, they had the they exposure. Had the exposure, and then they put in the work. I mean, that's at the end of the day... You can create an environment for the the kid, but if they don't put in the work, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Usually you have, that's where they, you know, something has to ignite them to want to put in the right. work. And that's true of anybody. If I want yeah. to be great at something, I got to put in the work. Yep. Well, very interesting. Well, thank you, Brian. Appreciate it. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube, hit the like button. Subscribe if you want to see more content. If you're listening to us on iTunes, subscribe and give us a rating. We yeah. love good ratings. We love five stars. Five stars are awesome. <laughs> Not when it comes to hot food. But on you, on a, yeah, Thai five is a little hot. Four yeah, I can do. Right. Five is a little too much. No. No. <laughs> but podcasts, I only like stars for ratings. Yeah. For, Give us for five podcasts. stars. <laughs> it helps us out. It does. Thanks, everybody, for looking for a coach. Check us out at go3sport.com. We'll see you next week.